Hi, this is Michael Dorn, Lieutenant Commander Worf from Next Generation and Deep Space Nine, and you're listening to Trek FM. Telling frequencies open, this is your Trek FM Hyper Channel for November 2nd, 2015. This is a day that will go down in infamy, the day that we learned that CBS is releasing a new set of easy access Star Trek socks in January of 2017. Is that right, guys? Uh, Yeah. I love those socks. Love them. (laughs) No, finally, finally today, we got the announcement we've really been waiting for from CBS. There's going to be a new Star Trek series in January 2017. So we're doing an unusual hyper channel today. This is an emergency session of our newsroom. And I'm joined by my fellow executive producers here at Trek FM, Norm Lau. Hey, Norm. Hello. Matthew Rushing. Hey, Matthew. Howdy. And also host of Commentary Trek Stars and Standard Orbit, Mike Schindler. Hey, Mike. Hey, thanks for letting me tag along. Yeah, it's great to have you here. You can lend your cinematic expertise to our discussion. <laughs> I don't know if, if I'd call it expertise, but, you know, I know how to navigate the IMDb, so close enough. <laughs> Mike, stop always selling yourself short, okay? I mean, you you have podcasts that are, are I've rated five stars, so, and just, you're, you're selling yourself short, man. You're also wearing a hat that I've rated five stars. That's right. So. The <laughs> NX01 right. hat. The NX01 hat. The NX01 hat, hat from yeah. Anovos. Yeah. Okay, guys. Well, let's just jump into this. We don't have a lot of information to go on, but of course, we are a Star Trek network, so we must talk about this announcement from CBS. I woke up this morning because, as many listeners know, I live in Tokyo, and so this happened in the middle of the night for me, and I woke up this morning, and I've got messages from all of you guys <laughs> saying, wow, this is big news. How should we cover it? I think we should cover it this way. I think we should do this. I guess we'll have to wait until Chris wakes up. And then I check my email and I've got messages from Larry Nemechek. And then I've got direct messages on Twitter from Larry going, Chris, check your email. And nobody ever says what the news is. So I have no idea what's going on. I'm like, did William Shatner die? Did did someone decide to buy Trek FM and suddenly we have money to do things? I don't know what's going on. And so then I went to StarTrek.com, and, and I saw the news. Those are your first two choices? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying yes. this, this is where your brain went. Wait, oh, wait, Chris, choices. we didn't tell you, but uh, we sold Trek FM <laughs> to and Apple, Chattner. and we each okay. made, as associate our associate producers and executive producers, $3.2 billion. So I think we're wow. set. Wow. Yeah. All right. All right. Okay. Well, no, the, the only, the big news in Star Trek that I could think of would be either a new series or something happened to William Shatner. So thankfully it was not that. Thankfully we are getting the series that we wanted. So I'm going to do a really quick rundown of the news here and then we're going to discuss this. Basically CBS has announced that in January 2017 there will be a new series which will be previewed on CBS but will then appear on CBS All Access, the streaming service that they have launched or are developing here, trying to to make something out of that. And then we know that Alex Kurtzman will be heading the show. He's the executive producer. We don't know anything else about the writing team at this point. We do know that there's going to be distribution internationally. We don't know what form that will take yet. 
We'll talk about that a little bit more as we go. And that's pretty much what we know in terms of details. We don't know what the series will be about, what the cast will be like, what the tone will be, where it will be set on the timeline. So that's why we're all here right now to speculate. So let's get rolling, Mike. What are your thoughts? Well, I'm really excited. You know, I mean, the fact that there's a new Star Trek series, that's pretty great. I was not expecting it an announcement this soon, and I was definitely not expecting them to have it ready for January of 2017. So I am super excited about that. I think it's very interesting that Alex Kurtzman is producing this and Roberto Orsi is not. My my guess was like, because everyone's like, well, bad robot, the bad robot contract is coming up. And I'm like, Kurtzman and Orsi make like 15 shows on CBS. Surely they'll go to those guys. And they're going to one of them, but not the one that I'd expect. But I think that's really interesting. And um, I, I, I cannot wait. I, I, I'm, I'm a little, um, I don't know, nervous about the very last sentence in that press release, which says, the new television series is not related to the upcoming feature film Star Trek Beyond, which is scheduled to be distributed by Paramount Pictures in summer 2016. I don't know what that means, but... I really hope it doesn't mean that it won't be an Excelsior show starring John Cho. Okay. All right. Norm? Well, I agree with, uh, I agree with Michael's sentiment. I think just hearing the news, a new Star Trek series, let's take what that means into context. A new Star Trek series. We've been waiting for this as fans to happen since the cancellation of Enterprise. And that was 10 years ago in May. Okay, so let I want to put it to you this way. When Voyager was on its way out and Enterprise was on its way in, they had six weeks, maybe seven, to turn around an entire new show. Now they're announcing it at the end, at the fourth quarter of 2015, and it's going to be released in 2017. That means they are going to take their time to put together what it means to produce a quality show for the Star Trek fans. Now, I know the people out there that are listening have a lot of emotion going on right now about this news. And that's very, that's just very reasonable and realistic because Star Trek means so much to everybody. So the first thing that people are saying to themselves probably are, is it going to be my Star Trek show? Is it going to be original series? Is it going to be next generation? Is it going to be Deep Space Nine era, Voyager era, beyond that? Now, where's it going to fit in? Because I want a continuation of what Star Trek means to me. But we're, we're not even there yet. Yeah. We just have to be excited for the fact that the Star Trek brand officially on CBS is going to be back on television. Let that sink in for a second. Yep. Well, it's going to be on television, but not on television. Okay, fair point. It's fair point. We'll talk about that later. <laughs> Let's save the distribution. But discussion I'm excited for later. because I mean, you know, Star Trek. I think we've all talked about on our various shows all over the place at one point or another is saying that it belongs on television. I mean, you you can't tell the kind of long form storytelling that Star Trek is really known for, and especially some of its best shows. 
like Deep Space Nine, where you really get into characters, where you really dive into issues, where you're really talking about what's going on, all the hallmarks of Star Trek, and do that in a two-hour film every three or four years. It, it just doesn't work. So Star Trek belongs on TV. So anything else that we might talk about, heck yeah, Star Trek is back where it belongs. It's back in a place where it can tell stories the way Star Trek is meant to tell them. And we're finally in a place, too, where Star Trek hopefully does not have to shy away from telling more nuanced, arced stories. You know, the kind of stories that we were, say, getting in Deep Space Nine, but even more continuity-driven. Because that's the place that we're in, and Star Trek, again, is kind of... It was always built for that, more, I think, than just the anthology-type show. And that's what I'm really excited about, is to finally be in the place where I think Star Trek can truly thrive with amazing writers good storytellers, and fantastic actors. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I'm excited because it's returning to television. That's definitely where it belongs. You need that one-hour format, weekly format, or near-weekly. Who knows how many episodes they're going to make at this point in time. But you need that format to tell stories. Uh, One reason that I have not really connected with the Abramsverse is that there's just not enough there in terms of story for me to really get invested in it. And so this is wonderful news that we're going to have a TV series and we can actually get invested once again. Now, where is it going to fall on the timeline? What are the characters going to be like? Those are all really big questions for us. And we need to discuss that a little bit today. The creative team is interesting, just to go back to what you said, Mike, up front, the fact that Alex Kurtzman is on board as executive producer, Orsi is not there. I wonder if this gives us a little bit more information about maybe what happened with Star Trek Beyond and the ousting of Orsi. And I know this is CBS doing this and Paramount did the movie, but it seems like perhaps some faith was lost in in what Orsi wanted to do with Star Trek, perhaps. That could be. I don't know. I mean, you know, again, it's like piecing together all these little things and, you know, but some of the comments that Orsi made after the fact really made it sound like he was stepping away to do a new series. Like there, there are some very vague comments that he made, which were like, you know, I've got, I've got my, my sights set on bigger things and maybe it just fell apart. I don't know. But I also mm-hmm. thought that Kurtzman and Orsi were still working together as a team for the television stuff. I think this is the first show that they're not going to do together. I know they had split in terms of features, but this is strange. I don't know. It's it's mm-hmm. really strange. And I mean, I guess the other thing to consider in in the realistic sort of thing, I mean, the, the hiring of Kurtzman certainly points to a certain direction that they're going in. But like Kurtzman is not going to be the showrunner on this thing. You know, he's going to be like a figurehead, but he's busy making his mummy movie and everything like that. And I mean, that Hollywood Reporter article the, that that broke the story said that they're looking for writers. So, I mean, there's definitely still a lot of stuff up in the air as to who is actually going to be making this show, you know? Do Kurtzman and Orsi work together as secret hideout? to do the shows that they do, like Hawaii Five-0, and then Orsi works with 
Abrams as Bad Robot to do features? No. Um, Kurtzman and Orsi worked together as a company called KO Paper Products. Okay, and that's, right. that's that's their company. They're the ones who produce everything, okay. all of CBS's lineup right now. So the reason I asked that, Mike, is I'm wondering if there's some reason why they specifically don't want to work with Bad Robot with Star Trek. They want to move away from that. And so maybe that's why Orsi's kind of pushed out. And Kurtzman, not not the company that Kurtzman and Orsi have together, but just Kurtzman's company is involved. No, because Orsi is not officially a part of Bad Robot. Like Bad Robot is basically J.J. Um, Abrams and Brian Burke. So okay. Kurtzman and Orsi were working for Bad Robot, but Kurtzman and Orsi's company is separate. They're KO paper products. And I now see. I guess Kurtzman has a separate company too. I think Kurtzman has It's, own, it's yeah. just companies inside of companies and, you know. <laughs> I think it's interesting that he named his own company Secret Hideout. He's like, I've got to find a way to get away from all these people <laughs> and to do my own thing, man. Well, but I mean, Chris, that brings up a good point because was, there was a little bit of fan friction with Orsi online, on social. Yeah, yeah, there was. I'm wondering if there was a discussion that needed to be had about that because, you know, this is going to be for a long term. And you need to have good ambassadors with the fans in order to make that relationship between the showrunners and the fans work out because you don't know how it's going to work out in the future. This could be like the last shot at Star Trek on TV. And if it doesn't, if it doesn't start with the right footing, if things don't fall into place in the right way, it's very well possible that it could damage the relationship with a very fickle fan base right now before it starts. Are you saying Maybe this Norm. is the final countdown? <laughs> it's oh, no. the final Did you give Matthew an opening to sing? Norm, <laughs> I don't know if I could ever say that this might be the final shot for Star Trek on TV because if they can reboot MacGyver and the Greatest American Hero, I think any show can always get another shot. You are so waiting for that ALF reboot. I know you are. I am, yes. <laughs> greatest American Hero, God, that coming back, that's... That's a whole nother show, but goodness. Believe it or not, Matthew, it's coming back. <laughs> Man, I remember that show as a kid. Okay. Okay, so that's all we know about the creative team anyway. We just know that Alex Kurtzman is there, and we don't know who else might be involved. The thing that I keep on thinking about that, which in some ways kind of breaks my heart, is the fact that you know Kurtzman and Orsi, two friends growing up in high school and everything, both Star Trek fans, but Orsi's the super fan. And you just know that Orsi wanted this more than anything. And then it goes to Kurtzman. I can just, I just feel so bad for that guy. Like, I mean, can you just imagine that? Oh my God. Anyway, sorry. Well, this does bring into question, Chris, you were talking about, okay, so when will the series take place? And, is it a prime universe thing? Is it its own universe thing? Is it going to be a JJ verse thing? What is it going to be? I think that lends itself to who do you bring in creatively? Because if it does have some prime universe connection, there might be some people that you might want to bring back and, and let them work on, you know, a very modern Star Trek who, who have a good take on it. Um, but at the Are same you talking time, about Ira, well, I, I was thinking about, you know, there's a lot of people out there who did a lot of great Star Trek who would love to be able to work without some of the constraints that they had. 
and could still tell amazing stories. You know, whether it was like Iris Stephen Bear or like a Ronald D. Moore or somebody like that, you know, these people who have proven that they can, but I was also thinking too, just design wise, uh, because if it takes place in the prime universe, do you want to have some kind of continuity, which Star Trek has always loved to have? I mean, all of those questions come into play. So right now we have no clue. Yeah. But I guess maybe the best question is, who's your, it, does anybody here have like a top pick? If you could pick somebody to come in and write Star Trek, who would it be? J. Michael Straczynski. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> He pitched a five-year arc for the five-year mission when when people were sniffing around whether or not Star Trek was going to be back. The, the reason why I say that is because, yes, I'm a huge Babylon 5 fan, but more importantly, he writes characters and develops characters really well. Uh, and an ensemble. He's very good at ensemble writing. And he has a little bit more clout in Hollywood now. He has, and Mike, you probably uh, correct me on this, I mean, four... I can't remember which movie. The movie that he did with Angelina Jolie. I mean, The Changeling. The Changeling. He has an Academy Award Good nomination for that, too. doesn't he? He might. Yeah, I'm not yeah, sure. So, I mean, it was critically acclaimed. And I know that he wasn't in a position after Babylon 5 to pitch Star Trek with any serious notoriety or respect in that realm coming off of Babylon 5 because he's the Babylon 5 guy. He's the guy that caused all this consternation, quote unquote consternation with the Deep Space Nine crowd. We don't really want to associate him right now with the Star Trek brand. And maybe that's what's happening to Orsi. But for, that's my first pick. I would love to see him work on a Star Trek franchise because after reading his draft, he always wanted it to come back to Kirk, Spock, and McCoy. That's if we got Kirk, Spock, and McCoy back, which mm-hmm. we won't on TV. But I think that he has a really good pedigree for writing science fiction, obviously. And if you want to know how big of a Star Trek fan he is, you know, when 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 movies ship to movie theaters, they have code names so as not to be, you know, pirated or whatever. And when we got our cans for Changeling, I, I was a projectionist at the time. When we got Changeling, the title, the name of the movie, the code name, Nomad. Uh-huh. Perfect. Awesome. There you go. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Well, let's talk about the setting a little bit and where we fall here. So I think Mike wants to see an Excelsior series set in the Abramsverse timeline starring John Cho, right? Yeah, otherwise, what's the point, right? Am I right? <laughs> what's the point? <laughs> there you so, go. So we're going to roll back to when they were developing <laughs> Enterprise. And finally, all mm-hmm. those stories are going to be true it's just that it's in the other timeline and it's John Cho. It's not George Takei. <laughs> I, I'm not sure if that would be, that would be good necessarily, but yeah, yeah, no, I mean, come on. I mean, well, part of me thinks like, part of me thinks that it is going to be in the Abrams verse for a couple of reasons. One, I mean, why, why go back? Honestly, two, you're getting Kurtzman in there. I mean, that says something, you know, I mean, is he going to want to give up the, the thing that he created? And three, like we're coming, we're going to be coming right off of this, this new movie. And I mean, do you really want to confuse audiences? And four, you're going to have a bunch of sets built in Vancouver, you know, I mean, they should be good to go. Right. I mean, you redress that bridge, you get an Excelsior bridge, John Cho has worked with Kurtzman. I mean, it just makes sense to me. And and why not have that continuity? Why not have, you know, a character that people are familiar with instead of, 
you know, completely, you know, bringing in a new crew, uh, all that stuff. I mean, it just, I don't know. Everything about it just seems to make perfect sense, right? It makes sense, but is it what you want to see? Absolutely. I know it's what you want to see. <laughs> <laughs> well, back in the 1980s, you had Next Generation at the same time. You had the um, the Kirk, Spock, and McCoy, the original series crew in in theaters. Starting from 1986. Yeah. So you had Star Trek four and the next generation on at the same time. So you had two different universes drawing in two different crowds, but kind of like eventually culminating in the financial support of two different franchises that leads to the main franchise or the master franchise. So is that a strategy that they would try and mine here a second time around? Because there was no better time for Star Trek merchandising and just fueling that financial machine than the mid to late 90s. Because you had Next Generation, Deep Space Nine, and Voyager, and the movies all happening at the same time. I don't think anybody was complaining about it, but it did. I know it it eventually caused fatigue franchise. But I, in, in my opinion, you would have two completely separate eras going on at the same time. So that a portion of this audience can grow in one way and a portion of another audience can grow in another way. And Matthew, you and I have had this conversation before about DC, where... I was on the one side of the fence where I'm like, I really think that they should keep everything in the same continuity for the fans. But as I have grown with Flash and Arrow and now Supergirl, I can see how this audience is growing really well in this universe. And then you have the DC movie franchise universe also growing in succession at the same time. So why not cultivate both audiences? I've been thinking about it all day. Like, what would I like to see? And honestly, I don't know. Like, I really don't know what I want as a fan, so I'm kind of just interested to see where they're going to take me, you know? And and maybe that's the best place to be because I don't have a lot of expectations at the moment, and that's probably a really good thing. But I, I think the other part of it is, is we have so little information right now. It's like, it's wide open. They can do yeah. whatever the heck they want. And so it's when you have... 700 hours and hundreds of years of Star Trek and multiple universes to choose from uh, <laughs> endless options. <laughs> I think I think we have to remember that for CBS this is a business venture, right? For us fans it's all about the stories and the characters we love and the time periods we love. For CBS it's business. They want to make money doing this. So they want to produce something that they feel is going to connect with the audience. So they have been watching what Paramount has been doing since 2009 or before, actually, when they're developing and filming that movie. And they can see how divisive this has been amongst the fan base. And they can observe that, in my opinion, the majority of Star Trek fans, a majority, more than 50%, prefers the prime timeline and the complexity that has grown out of that over the course of 50 years, more so than these two films by J.J. Abrams. So if you're looking at it from a business point of view, do you say, let's do something fresh? People are already used to these movies now. Let's don't confuse them by switching the timeline again. Or do you say, most people still live in that prime timeline, and this alternate timeline is just a place that has popped up twice over the past six years. Let's give people what they're really invested in. Let's take them back to the prime timeline because that's where we have the best chance 
of bringing in the audience, the best chance of getting those people who, as we're going to talk about before the end of our discussion here, are going to pay an extra $5.99 a month so they can watch this TV show. What do you think about that? I, I think that uh, the while, while that may be true that a majority of Star Trek fans do prefer the Prime Universe, I think that that's a rather small portion of the overall audience for that show, you know, or for, for Star Trek in general, you know. And I think that the majority of people who are going to watch Star Trek, whether or not they identify themselves as Trekkies or whatever, um, want some consistency. And I also think that they really like the the JJ movies. I think you can you can see that in the box office and you can see that in the critical, you know, response to this. And and, you know, while there's, you know, fans who will think that people are crazy for thinking that this is the best out there, that it is very, very well received by the general general public. So I mean I I can definitely see them wanting to stick with that because it's the next logical step for the general public, you know? I would say, though, just on that thought, as Chris said, you know, you are trying to get people in who are fans first, because because of the way that we're modeling this, we are going to be asking fans to pay per month for the show. So you have to be able to capture the people who are already fans first, or otherwise this doesn't work at all. So I, I do think it's a much harder decision what place you set the show and what universe you set the show because you want to capture the most amount of fans immediately. Otherwise, your risk that you're taking here is not going to pay off. And just from the business perspective, the JJ verse is still a harder sell for everybody in the general fan base of Star Trek. Mike, what you're talking about though is is the broadening of the fan base, which is probably the most important thing for Star Trek at this point because we have an aging fan base in the first place. People are getting older, and as that happens, new fans need to come in to replace them, or the series will just go by the wayside finally. And we don't want that to happen. So the decision here for CBS is, pardon the pun, but paramount. Because what they decide here is really going to change the course of the Star Trek future. And it's either going to bring in the next generation or it's it's going to get lost in some quadrant that nobody cares about. And, and, and it, it may be, you know, 10 or 20 years before Star Trek is tried again. So I I do think the decision is a lot harder to make because you have to worry about getting these original fans in, but also at the same time trying to please new fans. And that's the toughest thing to do in any franchise, let alone Star Trek, where we've already seen the divide that it's kind of caused in the fan base in the first place. So it's a, it's a tough call. You know, the way I always saw this happening is that there were going to be three movies in the JJ universe. And then after the last movie, there was going to be a continuation on TV because even though that there were some fundamentally huge changes in the JJ universe, it doesn't necessarily mean that those changes have to follow this other crew. I mean, I agree with what you're saying, Michael, when it comes to the visual cues that bring continuity to the audience. The technology looks the same. The uniforms look the same. 
Uh, just the visual keys look the same, the way that they use the fonts of Starfleet, the way they use the badging, the way they use all of these different details and disciplines and design motifs to make sure that the audience knows exactly what universe you're in. So you can take that entire package, that entire design package, put it with a new crew, put it with a new ship, put it in a completely different sector of the galaxy and let him go off in that direction because now you don't have to really weigh in on what's happening with the the heavy cannon of what's going on with the destruction of Vulcan and all the shifts in the in the storyline that happened in JJ's two movies. You can focus on what's happening on this other crew, but at least it looks like it's in the same design theme so that people will turn in People will tune into the show or invest in the show, that $5.99 that we were talking about, and say, okay, they're not the movies, but I understand what's going on because it looks kind of the same, but with new people. That looks intriguing. As opposed to turning on the TV and saying, like, you know, they'll see Voyager and the uniforms are different and the ship looks different and everything looks different. And they're like, well, I kind of get what's going on, but I kind of don't. Or go all the way back to Enterprise and, like, I can't really kind of grasp why they would go all the way back there. And it might just be a nice kind of segue into whatever they're going to do for the third movie. And maybe they might even hint towards saying that, you know, there are a multitude of different ships and crews that you can follow. doesn't necessarily have to be always Kirk, Spock, McCoy, Uhura, Chekhov, Sulu, and Scotty. I mean, that's sure. We love them as original series fans do. Not everyone does, but I think we're all original series fans to some degree. And I think that the audience wants just to see Great characters, great stories, but I think the visual cues will help usher that in a little bit more smoothly. Yeah. And if it is JJ verse, it definitely won't be Kirk, Spock, McCoy, and the rest of those folks. Well, no, because they're never going to get all those guys. Yeah, exactly. On a TV series. I mean, yeah. (laughs) And even if they could, I don't want to see that at all. I'm just not interested in that. Like, the, I don't have such a problem with the Abramsverse timeline itself being used if you then set it somewhere else. And I would actually prefer a different century, not not Kirk's time, even if it were following another ship. This is why I'm not interested in the idea of an Excelsior show with John Cho, because I don't want anything set in the 23rd century in the alternate timeline, because it for me, there's too much conflict there between everything that came before. Like, we're just replaying events. If we're going to take the time to make a TV series, let's do something new. Let's do something different. But that's an important point you're making, is that they're taking the time to do it. Remember, I mentioned before, they only they only invested six, maybe seven weeks to launch Enterprise after Voyager. Well, but they were developing it well in advance but, of that. So. But... But the execution, you know that the strength of execution could have been better if they took an entire year to do it. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. I mean, I think they did take an entire year to do it. I think that's why, like, Brandon Braga wasn't running Voyager during season seven. You know, I think what what they, the turnaround that you're talking about, I think would be similar to the turnaround Hmm. between the movie and the the show, assuming that they're using the same sets and everything, which would make sense, you know, when you think about it. From a financial standpoint. Except that those sets are movie sets and they cost an exorbitant amount that you can't use with the TV budget. I mean, you can't continue to have sets that large for the TV 
audience, and especially um, with the places that they I don't know in a modern TV show if you if the studio really wanted to get behind it, if they saw it as an investment, since the set is already built. Maybe that's yeah. what the five ninety nine is for. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, like, I, I mean, looking at it now, you know, we're trying to like put the pieces together. Yeah. I mean, the this might be why they chose to shoot this thing in Vancouver, you know? Where everybody they might have had this shows. in mind from the beginning. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's possible. So now they can yeah. run into like Arrow and Flash on accident, you know, and yeah. help yeah, each other out. Scully. It could be the yeah. DC Star Trek crossover series. Yeah. Star Trek Green Lantern. They're talking I to IDW it. right now. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so personally, I would prefer to see something set in the prime timeline because one thing that I love about Star Trek that makes it different for me from other TV shows in the realm of science fiction even, is that there's such a rich history and it's so complex and I can really think about how everything fits together. And if you're going to say, well, this is a different timeline and the history unfolded differently, then those pieces don't fit together anymore. And I, I there are so many parts of the prime timeline that can still be explored. I want to I want to fill in those gaps in that rich history that I already have. That's what I'm personally interested in. Now, it doesn't mean that I'm not going to watch a show if it's set in the Abramsverse timeline. It just means that my connection to that show may not be as strong as it would be to a show set in the prime timeline. Because as I've said before on many shows, and I know Larry likes to say this as well, Star Trek, it's like they're books on a shelf and each series is a chapter in this big story. But that story is stronger when it's a linear story, not when you then decide, well, here's a new version of this story that I'm going to tell that, you know, all that stuff that happened over there, well, it's not quite what you think anymore. Here's something else. I mean, I, I think going back to something that you said uh, just a little while ago that, of course, you're going to watch the show, whether it's set in the JJ-verse or the Prime Universe. I think that's another thing that CBS knows is that the people who are having these debates, they got them already. You know, they're they're hooked. They don't need to worry about those people. What they need to worry about is the new people, you know, which is why I think maybe. But I don't know. I mean, like I keep on thinking about other franchises like Batman or, or James Bond or whatever. And, you know, the thing that Star Trek does, which I think is amazing in terms of its continuity, even fitting its reboot into continuity, it's, it's amazing that it does that. And yet it's also very strange. And I don't really have a problem with a new interpretation of, of it at all. And, and I mean, cause that's the other possibility. That's the other thing which, which might happen is they might just say, screw everything, we are starting over from scratch, and here you go. And if they do that, I think they have to do Kirk, Spock, and McCoy. Otherwise, what's the point yeah, of doing that? But I don't think, I really don't think they'll do that. I do, no. you did just give me the title for the new Star Trek series, Star Trek, Strange Continuity. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think, I, I think there are always possibilities, as Spock is so fond of saying, but I think that there are some that are more likely than others. So I think it's it's probably either between we're doing the JJ verse or they're trying to figure out some point in the prime timeline that they want to do a show. And my guess is, is that you just move that to more like the 25th century 
and and go on from there because you're not going to capsule your time in like an enterprise era or after enterprise or before the next generation or where you only have so much time you're going to go where you can play and you're not worried about affecting anything else and so to me those are the two places they're probably most likely trying to figure out or it's just renegades well so matthew if you do that if you go far enough ahead i mean let's say we go to the 27th century it doesn't really matter that much which timeline it's set in at that point, right? I mean, aesthetically, the show is going to be different. Even if the show is set in the prime timeline, it's not going to look like Voyager or The Next Generation, right? It's no, going to it have won't. an aesthetic that seems right to us today. If I can jump in on that, because I, I have a pretty strong feeling about going too far forward with the series. There is going to be a point in time when you take a look at when this era is going to be important when it comes to being able to replicate that vision with what we can do today. And what I mean by that is there's a certain logic that can't be broken with some people's imaginations. And no matter how far forward that you take the special effects, no matter how far forward you take the design, there is just going to be a limitation of what you can do with the special effects technology, no matter how advanced it is today. You're not going to be able to extrapolate to the audience that you want to to describe this to visually, what is going to be in the 27th century? Because there are just something, because when we watch the next generation, sometimes like we'll see an episode where the traveler would take, you know, us will fling us forward or we'll see like Picard in the inner light. And you're looking at some of the stuff you're like, that just doesn't make sense. I don't care how Star Trek this is. It just doesn't make sense. It doesn't look good. It, it, it's just, it's not right. It just visually feels wrong. When Daniels was doing the entire temporal accord special effects or bubble, whatever yeah, you want to call it, is the, the, the temporal yeah. observatory. Sometimes you're looking at that, you're like, that just doesn't make sense. It just doesn't. And then you don't want that to ring false with your audience because then all of a sudden now you're just reaching with effects and you're completely foregoing the characters in the story because you're trying to outdo the visual, the visual vocabulary that you're setting for this this particular era, so you have to do something that's like, okay, you know what, my my audience can latch onto this if you know if I'm making that decision as a graphic designer. What can they hold in their in their imagination that's tangible and that's real that makes sense to them and that's not too far forward? So if you're like 300 years from Voyager, do you really think that a designer can do justice to what that means? I don't know, but it seems like it's going to always be how to push special effects further forward, and that's just going to create too many issues for storytelling. Yeah, although at the same time, I think that when it comes to television or film, we have this idea that 300, 400, 500 years from now, things are going to look so different. In reality, look how slowly our society actually evolves. Will things be that much different 100 or 200 or 300 years from now than they are now? I, I think, think they that will be so less bit, different than we think they will be. I think that question, though, was a little bit different, say, in the 60s. But uh, having lived a lifetime where, you know, we didn't have any of the technology that we have now the way we do it. I mean, my phone has more hard drive space in it 
than the original computers that took well, up an sure. entire room. You know, yeah, so yeah. I mean, I, I do think that Norm's question is an interesting one because we have seen technology change so radically. There's other parts of our life that we haven't seen change as radically, say like car technology. We're not in hover cars or hoverboards or anything like that. Yeah, I know it's 2015, but get over it. We don't have hoverboards yet. It, it, they call them hoverboards, Matthew. <laughs> They're just not really hoverboards. But I, I, I think that is an, a, a different question now than it used to be just because there have been so many incremental, monumental changes in the way that we live our life. Um, yeah. Technologically, it, it would be... What I what I'm hoping from whatever the new series is is the best part of Star Trek was that it was something that helped push us forward. It gave us something to look forward to, and it it, it inspired people to want to do things, you know. And that's what I'm really hoping. No matter where the show is set, that it'll do that. That people want to go to space again. That people be inspired to be astronauts. That that kind of stuff would happen. That that kind of optimism about what could be done would would go there, you know. And and um, there's been very few things in the last few years that have really done that. Um, there's been some great you know sci-fi films that have done that for us. Uh, whether it's you know, Interstellar or the fun and, and optimism of Tomorrowland, but. That's what Star Trek used to be, and it used to be on TV all the time. And and that's where I'd really like to see, no matter what it is, that's what I want to see from Star Trek. So one other thing we wanted to talk about is what tone we want the show to have. So Matthew wants this optimistic drive to be better to the future. What about you, Mike? I'm, I mean, I think a lot of it depends on what they're trying to do, but I think... One way or another, if you're making Star Trek, you have to make it optimistic. You know, even if it's Deep Space Nine, it's optimistic. Even if it's Enterprise, you know, it's it's optimistic or at least sort of a reflection of of where we are and and the hope that it'll get better. And um, I think in a case like this where it's not uh, there's there's nothing that they're you know sort of like competing with in terms of themselves you know, and, and nothing where they're trying to like differentiate themselves from the rest of it. It's, you know, they're bringing it back because they want to capture what Star Trek is. I think you have to make it fun and you have to make it optimistic, of course. Uh, I, I'm thinking it's got to be something tonally uh, similar to the original series. I think in today's day and age, and, and Matthew, you touched on this, um, with what science fiction offers today, and it's great. I mean, there are great shows out there, uh, shows like Defiance and Continuing, Orphan Black, and all of these very heavy shows. And they're well executed, they're well produced, they're well acted, the characters are great. But what you don't get a lot of out of these shows is that sense of what if, that better tomorrow, that how do I push myself, how do I better myself, the optimism that Flock says in the very first seven broken bow, that optimism, Captain, it's a fantastic scene because as corny as it is, that is the heart and soul of Star Trek. It's the show that allows you to reflect on what was happening currently in your own in your own life, in in what was happening in the in the social dynamic and fabric of the time. And I really think that in today's society, with the way that things are 
constantly shifting and evolving in the way that people's lives need that kind of hope and inspiration. If it's really well crafted and well cast and well written, every one of those episodes should give you that ability to look in on yourself and say like, yes, I identify with how they worked through the issue of the show, how it made somebody learn, how it gave me some type of lesson that imparted some type of new knowledge to me and inspired me in some way to even be that much better, a better version of myself at the end of that 49 minutes or 50 minutes. That's what Star Trek always meant to me. Mm-hmm. At every iteration of Star Trek, that's what I think is the success of it. And that's what inspired all of these people to do all these great things, to become the scientists and the physicians and the physicists and the doctors and the just better people, you know, just it was more inspiring. And whatever era they choose to use, as long as the stories inspire, that is what I believe will be the success for the new Star Trek show. Yeah, that's what it always was for me as well, especially the original series in The Next Generation. It's largely responsible for who I am today and, and where I've managed to get to that drive to to be better, which came from Star Trek. So I think, like you guys say, they have to go that route. I think a lot of fans see Deep Space Nine in particular as being a dystopian show. But if you really watch it, as Matthew and I always talk about on The Orb, it's much more about the characters and how they react to the situation they find themselves in and how they strive to do the right thing and to be better and to make the galaxy better for everyone. And that's optimistic. So one other thing we need to touch on before we wrap up here, and we really don't want to push past an hour on this discussion right now because we're just speculating away here anyway, is distribution. This is what has everyone up in arms today. And... (laughs) I think we may be a little bit divided here ourselves because this is exactly what I predicted. And we've been talking about this for a long time on The Ready Room. I know Larry and I have had discussions about a future show. And I'm pretty sure going quite far back, at least more than a year ago or more, well, ever since CBS announced CBS All Access. So whenever that was, maybe that was earlier this year. But when they announced that, the very first thought was that the next Star Trek series may end up on CBS All Access. And sure enough, that's exactly what has happened here. I think that it's the right model in terms of distributing a show digitally through a platform like that, because broadcast television, as we have known it over the years, is dying. And this platform like Netflix and Hulu is the way of the future. The thing is that Well, there are a couple things here, but I'm going to talk just in terms of Americans right now. There are only so many services that you can pay for in a month. And people already have Netflix. They already have Hulu. They already have Apple Music or Spotify. They already have all these different services that they're paying for. And now you're going to go and you're going to ask people to pay an additional $5.99 per month to access a service that they have no interest in accessing except for the fact that Star Trek is on there. Now, I know that's kind of a broad statement, and it maybe it sounds a bit strong to say people have no interest in accessing CBS All Access. But what I mean is that in comparison to what you get from Netflix or Hulu, 
you're getting a whole lot more for a similar amount of money. Those services now cost a little bit more. But if you've been a Netflix user for a long time, you're grandfathered in to the $7.99 still. So it's only $2 more. So asking people to pay $5.99 on top of everything else they're already paying just so they can watch Star Trek, to me feels like a bit of a stretch. But it also concerns me because if I think back to what they did with Voyager, and if you think even back before that, Phase 2 was going to launch a new Paramount television network. Well, that didn't happen. Voyager did launch a new Paramount television network finally. And they really hung their hat on Voyager, on Star Trek. Well, a lot of people couldn't see Voyager. I couldn't see Voyager when it first came on because the city I lived in did not have a UPN affiliate. They had real problems in the first season or so of that show. And 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 they tried to figure out, like, what are we going to do? And so in Tuscaloosa, where I lived, they decided, okay, so for markets that don't have UPN, we're going to let another local channel syndicate Voyager. And they did that for a really short while. And then they said, nah, we're not going to do this. So I got to see a few episodes of Voyager before they yanked it again. So what concerns me here is that for this show to be successful, people need to be able to watch it. And if you lock it away behind a paywall, how many people are going to be able to see the show? That's a bit of a concern. At the same time, and I know I'm going on and on here, and I'm going to let you guys talk in a minute. At the same time, I do think that this arrangement bodes better for the series to be given the time that it needs to develop instead of being canceled. Because if it were just on CBS, and if people don't jump on board in those first few weeks of the show and those first 12 episodes, then they might pull the plug on it. And we don't want to see that happen. Whereas if it's part of their all access, they might say, look, let's just give this thing time because this is an investment for us and we need to make sure that we just keep making this show and people will come on board. So those are two different angles I see for it. So Mike, I'm going to ask you to go first because I know that you're a big proponent of all access in this distribution method. Yeah, I mean, I think it just makes sense uh, for a lot of reasons. One, I mean, that's definitely the way that TV is going, you know, there's a lot of people who are cutting cords these days, as they say. I mean, the only reason why I still have cable is because of the White Sox. That's yeah. it. And I'm you know? a cord cutter, by the way. I have Netflix and Hulu, and I have an antenna on my roof for off-air television. Yeah, and and that's what everyone's doing. I mean, everyone. I mean, <laughs> I remember not to not to cross the streams again or whatever. But back in the day, like 2005, when George Lucas was talking about doing his his live action Star Trek or Star Wars show, sorry, um, I, I remember seeing an interview with Rick McCallum where he's like, "Well, we're trying to figure out the distribution. We think by the time we're ready, you know, people will be able to stream it online." And I remember reading that and thinking, like, "This guy is freaking insane. There's no way. <laughs> what is he talking about? You know?" But now here we are, ten years later, and that's exactly. Yep where it's at you know i mean everyone there's those campaigns to bring enterprise back on netflix i think in a lot of ways you know cbs probably saw that and said that's a great idea but we should do that we should get those those six bucks you know i mean star trek is their most streamed property yeah yeah yeah. so it only makes sense i mean if they the, the idea of them starting up their own thing 
I don't know. That's a little weird to me. I, I think that they probably would be better off going like the net Netflix route or the Hulu route or something like that. But I mean, that's their that's their problem essentially, yeah. as, as far as I'm concerned. And to me, I mean, the six dollar thing. I did the math today. I figured out that uh, assuming that it's on the air for like six months, if you start saving up today, you put aside nine cents a day, you'll be able to watch the entire series. You know, that's not a lot of money. That's less than a movie ticket, less than a matinee ticket to to, to a movie for, you know, yeah. 20, 20 something hours of television. But, you know, a lot of people have an aversion to recurring fees. Yeah, I can see that. You know, I can see people, you know, not wanting to do it based on principle. And I mean, that's a choice that they have to make. I, I don't like watching commercials, you know, so I, yeah. I'd be willing to pay $1.50 an episode, no problem, you know. I don't know. It's and you know, selfishly, it'll also allow me to watch it in my parents' basement on my ninety-two inch uh, projector. And here's the other thing, which I think is really cool. As fans, there isn't going to be like an East Coast West Coast feed. We can all watch it at the exact same time, and then we can go onto Trek FM for the uh, live reaction show, and uh, it'll be all great. We can experience this together, you know, which I think is a lot of fun. Yeah, that will be cool. Okay, Matthew, I know you are opposed to this distribution method. So it's it's not I'm opposed to it at, at, at all because I I'm I kind of expected something, you know, because one of the things that we've noticed about the way things work online and and with these shows, like and and it was really House of Cards that that brought everything down uh, and turned everything into a house of cards so it all came crashing down you would drop an entire season on people and then they'd binge on it and they'd get used to having netflix in their life and netflix would have new people you know or people would just do this they would go on they would register for a month they'd watch the show they wanted to watch and then they don't sign up again uh cbs is asking for something a little bit different because it doesn't sound like they're going to be dropping the entire show at one time, you know, yeah. however many episodes they decide to do. Uh, so it is going to be something that's that's recurring. And my only thought, and I understand, I was, I was talking to Tristan about this today and he's a cord cutter too. I personally, we have cable at the house. I, I kind of like it because I record all the shows I want to watch. I don't have to watch commercials. It's It's great. Um, but to me, it just seems like that Star Trek is about a future where everybody's involved. And if I have to pay to watch Star Trek, it seems a little bit odd because how are you going to grow the fan base when I don't feel like immediately the only people who are going to be interested are people who are already fans. And the goal here, I think, should be to bring in the new people. And I don't see how that's going to happen when you're already asking them to pay for something that they don't, they may have never tried before. And that's my only objection is just that, and, and I want everybody to, to, to be very 
to hear that and to know that I, I'm not against the show happening. I'm, I'm really excited. Well, no, of course I'm you're not against the show happening. We're talking about the distribution method. Yeah, I'm just worried that it won't bring in new people as much as Star Trek needs to continue for another 50 years. Because isn't that kind of the goal, to, to have this thing continue and, and to last and, and continue to impact society? And I just don't know if that happens as well if people have to come in by paying a fee to something that they might not necessarily be interested in. Whereas my thought was this, okay, this is produced by CBS. Think about this. They just premiered Supergirl on Monday, had the biggest opening of any show this year is doing great. They also have the big bang theory. That's going to be running through that year. I think as well, because they're on for another like two or three or four years. Your Monday nights could be big bang theory. Supergirl and Star Trek. It's like family night for TV. Well, I don't know if Big Bang Theory is family night, but it's still, I mean, it's like a a whole appointment television night on Monday nights for geeks. Like, I don't understand why you wouldn't want to pair this up, especially with something like Supergirl, where you already have the geeks coming in. Yeah. To, and and it and, and it, everybody can watch it. You, all you need is an antenna. It's 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 free. Well, so. I, I think Matthew, it's that CBS wants to grow their own streaming service, and they know that of all the properties that they have, Star Trek is the one property that they own that they can get people to pay money for. When I said earlier that Star Trek is their most streamed property, I was talking about the a CBS property on Netflix. It's the, I believe, the most streamed CBS property on Netflix. And so CBS knows it's why they launched UPN with Voyager. They know Star Trek is that one draw. I think if there were no CBS All Access on the table, then maybe they would do what you're describing because what you're describing does make a whole lot more sense for the viewer and probably for the success of the show, actually. But again, I, I don't want anybody here to that, that I'm down on the show. I'm, I'm real excited Oh, no, no one's I, I personally just I I, I I am thinking about the longevity of the series yeah. that, to which we all love so much, and I want it to continue, and yeah. I want it to continue to reach people, and I I want to be proven wrong here, so I, I hope that happens. So, Norm, your thoughts on distribution? You know, it's a really interesting thing because I see both sides of the equation. On the one hand, I agree with Matthew because in order for you to be able to grow something in terms of a grassroots movement you should be able to give them the access they need to be able to grow that organically. However, at the same time, uh, because I have worked in retail sales for over 16 years, I understand that you have probably one of the most powerful brands in science fiction at your fingertips. Why not take advantage of that leverage and be able to carve something for future finances for the network? And in doing so, maybe they will be able to to create some type of a new bucket of finances so they can do different projects. Say like if they wanted to improve the special effects on a streaming version of Deep Space Nine. And that's just kind of like thinking pie in the sky. But the reason why I think that the subscription service is going to succeed is because Star Trek fans, the fans that actually can take that $5.99 a month and afford that, will invite people over and say that they will sell that for them. A person like me, or a person like Matthew, a person like Michael, you, Christopher, we'll pay that 
We'll have our friends come over who may not may or may not be interested in the new Star Trek, and I will sell that to you. I will guarantee you right now that I can get five people that I don't know and sell them Star Trek right now because that's how much I love it, and that's what CBS is counting on. They're counting on, it's kind of like, you want to come over and watch that new movie? I got it on DVD. You didn't see it in the theaters? Come over to my house. I'll show it to you. You'll love it so much, you're going to buy it yourself. That's what we do. That's what we as fans are capable of doing. We can take our passion and actually parlay that into sales. And CBS is really, they're savvy about that. They know that this is going to happen. They have a built-in grassroots, light up the candle and let it burn community because we've been doing this for 50 years. Yeah, We have been actually marketing for them. We... We don't. They don't have the power that Disney has in terms of distribution for Star Wars, and that, and but we're still there. We're still competing as fans and doing the advertising for them. Take a look at the fan films. Well, take a look at our network, Norm. <laughs> we are take a look at our network. Marketing take Star a Trek for CBS every right. day when we put out shows and we talk about Star Trek. So right. So the bottom line is the reason why I think that the subscription service is the rate is the way that they're 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 choosing to go is because they know by case history, by, say, the last 20, 25 years, that the fans themselves are the ones that will sell that service. They don't have to sell the service. Yeah. It's already been sold. Well, The other thing which I could see happening, you know, theoretically, is a, a scenario where, because I really do think that, you know, they've seen the history of Star Trek, and, and they then they realize that, you know, the, the, the initial ratings or whatever don't, matter because they're going to be selling this movie in the you know secondary market till for the next 50 years right i mean going back to the original series you know and syndication is where the thing blew up and everything like that so i could see a scenario where they're like let's try it let's see if we can get all access off the ground see if this works and if it doesn't then say, well, whatever, we're still going to sell a bunch of Blu-rays and everything like that. And, oh, yeah, season two, it's going to air on Monday nights right after Supergirl, you know? Yeah, they could do and, that. And then, you know, they could even, like, spin that into, like, look, it's so successful that... Yeah. So, I mean, it's... Well, yeah, I mean, again, I agree with Matthew. It's like, you know what? Yes, the fans should have the opportunity to see that because you're already paying for your cable service. That should be kind of, like, built into the broadcast. But at the same time, there are too many fans that are built into the, into the system of Star Trek that will allow people to come in and say, hey, you know what? I have something to show you. If you haven't seen the new Star Trek, you got to come over to my house. We'll get a pizza. We'll watch a couple that I've, you know, that are online already. We'll do a three or four hour uh, or a three or four episode run. And I guarantee you, dude, $5.99, no problem. You'll do it. Come on. It's like, come on, seriously, do you really need to have that, you know, this or that or the other thing? Because you love it, right? You weren't sold on it before, but you are now. What they could also do is, and when you when you look at the press release, the wording of the press release, you have to really start parsing it. They mention that first run episodes are going to be on CBS All Access. What they could do is that's where the episode airs. And then a week later, they put the episode on Star Trek.com. You can stream it on Star Trek.com. You know, it's not going to be, you're not going to watch it on your giant television, which is what most fans are going to want to do, but at least people can watch it. And then when they get hooked on it, then they're going to go in and they're going to do the all access for $5.99 and they could build it that way. I'm just hoping that what I'm reading in the press release means that they are going to offer 
alternate ways for people to watch the series because there are people so like for us yes we can pay 5.99 if we choose to but there are other people who can't i mean college students high school students they're not going to be able to sign up high school students aren't going to be able to sign up college students are broke usually they may not be able to pay 5.99 to watch the show and even other people who are you know, unemployed, you know, they're, they're down on their luck with work, which happens to us all. It could be hard for them too. So I just really want them to make this available so that all Star Trek fans will be able to see it. Maybe they don't see it on the night that it first airs. Maybe it's a week later. Maybe it's the month, the following month, but they should make it available. And I think they need to make it available in some way in order to grow all access and get people to pay. The other thing here that I want to mention, because again, I live in Japan. We have many listeners here on the network who live outside of the U.S. We have lots of listeners in England and Germany and Australia and all around who are also wondering, like I am, how am I going to be able to see this? Now, I was reading, I've read the press release many times, and I think there is unfortunately a misplaced word in the press release that completely changes the meaning of what they're trying to say. I think I'm correct. They say that the premiere episode and all subsequent first-run episodes will then be available exclusively in the United States on CBS All Access. That sentence means that Star Trek will only be available in the United States. I don't think that's what they're saying because the next sentence says... The next chapter of the Star Trek franchise will also be distributed concurrently, which means at the same time, for television and multiple platforms around the world by CBS Studios International. I think the first sentence is supposed to read, the premiere episode and all subsequent first-run episodes will then be available in the United States exclusively on CBS All Access, meaning you can only see them on CBS All Access. So, if anyone outside of the U.S. is reading this press release and getting really concerned, I think whoever wrote this doesn't know where to put the word exclusively. It's going to be available internationally. Now, the question is, how? If CBS were smart, they would make CBS All Access available to everyone in the world who wants to pay for it. But the history with CBS that I've seen so far with their programming, especially when it comes to sports, suggests that this won't be the case. Because if you cling to the traditional model of selling geographic distribution rights to television networks in different countries, then, you know, it becomes sort of a dicey issue. That's why Netflix has different services in different countries, right? So we will see. I am very curious to find out how they're going to do this because obviously I want to see the episode when it first airs, and I need to see the episode when it first airs as the publisher of the Trek Film Podcast Network. Otherwise, I can't talk about it. So I want more information. That would help. Hopefully, yeah. CBS will be forthcoming <laughs> with that. I do want to say, I think what's more important here is that uh, who's going to be the after show 
the official after show, and I, I honestly, it just it needs to be Trek FM. So StarTrek.com needs to come to us, and, and we already have the ability to do that. So I think fans just need to be lobbying to have us be the uh, the official after show. The official after and show. That's, that's right. right. Um, and we've already got the setups. We, we've, we, we've proven we can do it, and we'll make sure that uh, if you want best promotion of Star Trek, Trek FM's been doing it for five years for you for free. Uh, you know, let us have a crack at it. We'll make you proud. It's true. It's true. Yeah. So here we are. And I believe that every host on the network has already called Shotgun for that show, <laughs> if I'm not mistaken. Looking well, at messages but, but, from Basecamp th- this morning. <laughs> but thinking about it, thinking about it, there's got to be like, you could easily do three different shows on the network this I've, I've, I've thought of three different types of ways of tackling this thing it's like i think everyone will will be able to get their shot you know in one way or another right i mean this isn't like you know this is like new content i think there's plenty of room to go around right no there is. i think so you know the, the best part is is that we'll we'll see when that happens when we get there and and i can't wait to talk to all of you guys and all of our friends out there in the Babel Conference and listening to Trek FM, I can't wait for that night to happen. Think about it. Just put it in the context of what's going to happen to you, like emotionally. You're going to see Star Trek on TV again. That's amazing. I mean, come on. That's amazing, right? Yeah. And people are going to love our pre-show where we just speculate on what's going to happen in the episode before it ever airs. All right. That's a fourth show. See? <laughs> right. <laughs> We're gonna we're gonna, we're gonna break we're gonna start doing that live pre-show. broadcasting then too. We're gonna yeah, we got some new things to learn, guys. Uh, we got work to do. No, it's gonna be like <laughs> Sunday during the NFL season. I mean, I've I've always been fascinated by this, right? Because you know, baseball, you get a new game every day, so no one cares. But football, three hour pregame, then there's the game, totally. and then a three, three hour, hour post game. You know, <laughs> right? Yes, we need to do so this. Guys, uh, what do you think, uh, Captain So and So is going to be doing this week? Uh, I don't know. She <laughs> exactly. had a tough week last week. I it looks about, like it's yeah, going to be exactly. tougher we have again. Nothing to go on at all. We're just completely speculating on what a story might be. <laughs> yes. Yeah, but remember, we. But coming from the last story, it's like so. We have an injury here. Mm-hmm. We have an injury <laughs> happening. Like someone got actually hurt by the warp nacelles explosion. So they're going to be sidelined for a little right. bit. But if you actually take a look at the bench, it's a little bit deep. So if you go to your secondary officers and your makos, maybe they might be able to make up the shortfall there. And possibly get us some uh, some support there in the uh, in the short game. Well, See, and also so. while we're going with sports ball here, if it were like Voyager, we could say, <laughs> well, you know, Tom Paris, he was suspended after the last outing <laughs> yeah. for violation of ship rules. And do you think that Janeway will reinstate him for this episode? And make sure you set your fantasy team lists before the show. <laughs> oh, that would be awesome <laughs> if you had fantasy officers. <laughs> Totally, right. right. Oh, we're totally doing fantasy. <laughs> Not only that, I mean, but and if it's anything like Voyager, you know, you've got great stats, like how many times somebody's been shot down by yeah. one of the ladies on the show. You That's know, right. so well, oh, it looks like uh, Harry Kim only got shut down like uh, twelve times last episode. Uh, what do you think his uh, chances are this week with that? the Delaney sisters? Yeah. You could do that with TNG, also, Matthew. What's the over under on Worf nose in this episode? That's right. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I mean, we're, we're, we're kidding about this, but yeah. there's no reason not to do this. I mean, but seriously, how, yeah. there's no reason not to do this. Actually, you know yeah, who we need, too. Matthew, to help us develop these things? We need the girls from Educating Geeks because they will come up with some great games to play. Oh, Definitely during right. an after yes. 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 
what our drinking game for that episode is going to be based sure. on uh, speculation and or the blurb for the episode. Yep. <laughs> You know, the best thing is we're going to make a drinking game about how many times Honor is mentioned on the show. And the next the, the next show is actually going to be called Star Trek Honor. So every time the, the credits come up, you have to take a shot. <laughs> right. right there. Okay, guys. Well, I think we have... Well, we've talked an hour and 15 minutes purely speculating on a short press release from CBS. But it's been fine. So I hope everyone listening has enjoyed it. If you want to share your ideas and your thoughts on this new series, the best place to do it is in the Babel Conference. That's our listeners group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the search field on Facebook and it'll come right up. If you're not already a member, you'll need to click join and we'll let you in. But there's already lengthy discussion going on there right now about the new series. So come join in that. Now, as you noticed, we've mentioned it a number of times during the discussion today. We talk about Star Trek all the time here on Trek FM. So if you have found this discussion, if you found Hyper Channel because of the news of a new Star Trek series, we publish new shows every day about Star Trek. And here's a quick look at some of those things that we talk about. Previously on Trek.FM, Standard Orbit. Yeah, he can edit the crap out of a movie. Literally. Like, that's actually how he got the job on uh, for Nemesis, is he edited the crap out of uh, Lara Croft, Tomb Raider, and Mission Impossible 2. And they're like, thanks, Stuart Baird. Earl Grey. Oh, by the way, six hours in. If you press shift, you'll run throughout the whole game. <laughs> press shift when your characters are moving, and they'll actually move at a reasonable Reasonable. Pace. The orb. If he had, like, a game card, his power, you know, like, would be higher yeah. than any other captain for the, their persuasion power. You'll be like, damn, I was winning, and then he went and played a Cisco card on me. The ready room. Someone pointed out that this is actually the shortest title of any Star Trek episode. It's shorter than Voyager's Q squared by half a character. Because the two is superscript. <laughs> We're number one. We're number one. <laughs> to the journey. It's fake intimacy. Thank you. It is them trying to say Jacote knows Janeway so well that just by fiddling her com badge, he knows the crap's gonna hit the fan. <laughs> Commentary: Trek stars. Lost World's a terrible movie. I haven't seen Jurassic World though. Mm. The 602 Club We wake up in the middle of the night And I pop back in episode 5 And I watch it again Like there's something about This movie that from even then You know I'd seen them all It's all clean slate This one was already my favorite Literary Treks It definitely starts in a very dark place And it doesn't get much brighter at all uh you know until we until we get to the end and and you know there's some hope there but yeah definitely it's it's a dark book women at warp there were no oh you're a girl so you can't do that it's like well you know what you used to hang out with the Cardassian or the klingon so let's see what that would look like why don't you try that on for a while and introducing meta treks 
if you're commander of a starship, a thousand choices are going to uh, confront you in the course of, of your day in, in the captain's chair, and you just can't ignore them. So asking ourselves whether we really have free will is just a meaningless question on that view. I personally would like to be confronted with the choice to warp the Ryza, just saying. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So check out all of these shows. You can get them everywhere that you get podcasts. Of course, we're in iTunes. You can go to iTunes.com slash TrekFM, where we're a featured provider. You can find everything there. If you're not an iTunes user, you can find it in Stitcher, TuneIn, Windows Phone, BlackBerry. We're on SoundCloud. You can go to our website, Trek.FM, and you can stream shows from there. And just check them all out. We have so much great Star Trek talk for you here on the network every day. Okay, guys, thanks for joining me for this epic hyperchannel, the longest hyperchannel ever recorded. But hey, it's our new show, so why not? The Hyperist Channel. The Hyperist Channel. So, Mike, tell people where else they can find you on the network and around the interwebs. Uh, you can find me here on the network doing commentary Trek Stars, uh, where we talk about the work of Trek creators outside of Star Trek. We're just starting our new series on. Simon Pegg and his work as a writer. And you can also find me uh, for the next like five weeks or so on Standard Orbit, uh, where we talk about the original series. This week we've got uh, Mike Johnson, the, the writer, and Sarah Gatos, the, the editor of the Star Trek ongoing comics, on to talk to us about uh, how how they adapt original series episodes, which is really interesting. And you can also find me on CommentaryTrackStars.com doing Commentary Trackstar Babies. Every time you say that, I picture the sketch from Muppets Tonight in the 90s, the ABC <laughs> show where they did Seinfeld Babies with Muppet Babies. Oh, that's awesome. I didn't see that episode, but that sounds like the best thing ever. But no, it is totally yeah. a play on Muppet Babies. So yes, yeah, you are no, you are correct in that assumption. Baby Muppet Seinfeld was, what's the deal with diapers? <laughs> That sounds awesome. I need need to find that. I need to find that. All right. That's That's a ringtone right there. So so you mentioned for the next five weeks or so you're on Standard Orbit. So Norm, tell everyone Mm -hmm. where people can find you on the network and the interwebs. Well, everyone can find me on the Babel Conference. I pretty much post there daily. And you can find me here as an executive producer for Trek FM. You can find me as one of the co-hosts for Warp 5, our enterprise dedicated podcast. And The reason why Chris segued into that is because after Mike and Drew are finished with their tour of duty with Standard Orbit, uh, I will be taking over as one of the new hosts for Standard Orbit, and I'm really excited about that. You're taking the Enterprise A chair. Congratulations. It's awesome. The chair. The chair. There was a little trepidation, Riker-style trepidation, but guy didn't talk to me off the fence. So. Did you try to step over that chair and you realize that the Enterprise A chair back is just really too high for you to step over? I neither have he the leg stuck. nor the beard for that. Yeah. I, I, I had, there was a severe cramp that I, that I had from, from trying to do that now. Um, and then uh, on uh, Twitter, you can find me at Norman Lau. That's N-O-R-M-A-N-L-A-O. And yes, I always post on the Babel Conference daily and I love engaging all of our listeners and fans there for Trek FM. Awesome. All right, Matthew, how about you? Well, you can find me doing The Orb, a lovely show that I do with my illustrious co-host, Christopher Jones. We talk exclusively about Deep Space Nine, and uh, you can also find me doing Literary Treks with Dan, where we talk about the books and the comics of Star Trek, which has actually been the only place to get the Prime Universe these days, but that might not be the case anymore, depending on where this new show goes. Uh, We also... When we interview those authors, we get to talk about those new books and the, it's coming out for them. 
it's so much fun. So join us there. It's a blast. I uh, do the 602 Club, talk about all things geeky. So things like we mentioned here with like Supergirl and all the stuff coming out, just, just check us out. It's a lot of fun. And Ruby serves up the best drinks. And you can also find me on my own personal blog at uh, 42lifeinbetween.wordpress.com. Awesome. Well, if you want to find me, as Matthew mentioned, we do the Orb together where we talk about DS9. I also do Continuing Mission from time to time where we talk about fan films and independent productions, and we usually do interviews there. And then I host The Ready Room, which is a show where we do Star Trek news, and we cover all five live-action Star Trek series. I have a different co-host and a different group of panelists there pretty much every episode. That's our longest-running show here on the network, at least in its current form. And we have great discussions there, so I hope you'll check that out. You can also find me in the Babel Conference, along with these guys, talking with fans, talking with listeners all the time about Star Trek. You can find me on Twitter, C. Brian Jones, letter C and Brian with a Y, is my username there. And you can also find my writing about Star Trek over on StarTrek.com. So all kinds of stuff going on in the world of Star Trek all the time. So again, this was a kind of an unusual hyperchannel today. It's way, way longer than our usual hyperchannels, but hope you enjoyed the discussion. Be sure to tune in to all of our other shows and catch our Star Trek talk there. And until next time, go watch some Trek. Trek.